Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us, the editor of the uh, Weekly Standard, Bill Crystal, who is not, as I am, trapped in the tundra of the blizzard here in New England. Well, I hope you enjoy it up there, Michael, and I hope you stay <laughs> safe. Obviously, I was I was there in 78 for the uh, what was then called, I think, the blizzard of New England or something right. like that. Governor Mike Dukakis shut down the state for several days. You couldn't drive. Uh, I remember Harvard shut down for the first time in centuries. They the safest and, we've ever been in America. Harvard was yeah, shut down. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I was in grad school, so of course I had nothing to do except put off working on my dissertation. So <laughs> we, were, we were happy to stroll around the streets of Cambridge and, you know, visit with friends. But I, I think if you actually have, you know, obligation, obligations and jobs and families and a lot of things we didn't think about much when we were in grad school, it, these things can be an inconvenience. Well, I've got a job for you, Bill Crystal. You're president of the United States. Your uh, uh, a facility in Benghazi is under attack. The first ambassador killed due to hostile activity since the 1970s. And it seems to me, I've never been president, Bill, that the first call you make is to your secretary of defense or your joint chiefs of staff or both. And you're reporting at the Weekly Standard that President Obama did neither. I mean, it's really shocking now that we've learned more about what happened It didn't happen. That night, the president had a previously scheduled meeting with the secretary of defense, Leon Panetta, and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs in the Oval Office at 5 p.m., just kind of an every other week meeting I think they have. Uh, they did discuss Benghazi for 15 minutes. I assume Panetta reported that uh, the ambassador, I think at that point, was missing. I don't think they knew what had happened and that there were riots. and The uh, embassy had been uh, stormed. Uh, maybe he was able to report at that point that they had relocated to that other facility. I don't know if that had yet happened. Anyway, the president sent them off at 5.30. I think they claimed a couple of days later that he gave a directive. I suppose that's when he did it, that everything that had to be done should be done. And that was it. That was it. Oh, I, oh, wait, well, I who did he give the directive to if he didn't well, talk to the secretary? He told Panetta on his way out of the door, do whatever you have to do. And then Panetta testified yesterday. He never spoke with the president again that night. The president never spoke again with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs that night. Panetta never spoke with Hillary Clinton that night. And most amazingly, Panetta said yesterday that he never spoke with the White House again that night. I mean, I, I I worked in the first Bush administration. I was just talking with a friend who worked in the second Bush administration, George W. Bush administration. The idea that you wouldn't be in constant, the president himself wouldn't personally take charge of this. There wouldn't be a, a meeting in the Situation Room, or video conferences. That the president's national security advisor wouldn't be on the phone every 20 minutes with the secretary of defense or maybe the number two person of defense. But in any case, there wouldn't be constant communications about what's happening, what has to be done. Do you need more assets? Do you need the, pre the president's a guy who can co coordinate the Defense Department, the CIA, the State Department? None of the cabinet secretaries can do that by themselves. That's why we have a White House. That's why we have a National Security Council. That all seems to have been utterly not engaged. I mean, it, it's really shocking and, and, of course, extremely distressing given what happened that night and the degree of and I hate to use a dramatic phrase like this, but real dereliction of duty, I think, on the part of the president. Okay, let me is, try a theory. Shocking. Let me try a theory by you. Uh, before people forget this, but before Columbine, school shootings had become not not no big deal. But you know, what I'm saying that Columbine kind of lifted right. things up. And I remember I, I was a part-time radio guy. I actually, got in trouble for saying something stupid because. I didn't get what Columbine was. My mindset was all wrong. Could it be the case that the mindset, we heard it from Hillary a lot about, well, you know, foreign service is dangerous and there were a lot of riots and there was a video. Maybe the reason they obsessed with the video, Bill, Bill, is because they really believed that this was just a video riot, that it wasn't that big a deal. Could that be the case? Well, they could have wanted to believe that, but Panetta also testified that he and Dempsey knew right away it was a terrorist attack. And it's very clear now that the CIA knew right away that it was an organized attack. 
And of course, they then let Susan Rice say something very different a few days later. And the president himself gave the impression that the thing was caused by a video two weeks later right. at the United Nations. So the cover-up afterwards is pretty shocking. But the, the failure to act during it, the failure to monitor it constantly is really amazing. And we, really, we still really deserve to know what the president did that evening, in my view. I mean, it's not right. that often, as you say, that an ambassador is tragically killed. There's been a firefight with two other Americans, uh, servicemen or, you know, people engaged in the service of the country, let's say, um, a firefight in, in Benghazi and uh, the Defense Department is just kind of treating it like, gee, we haven't really gotten a request, and yeah, we'll mobilize the guys, but you know, it takes a long time, and so uh, we don't want to bomb the place, so uh, we're not going to send an F-16 over to buzz it. I mean, the degree of lack of urgency on the entire, on the part, not just of the White House, but of the Pentagon is a little shocking, but frankly, that comes from the White House not being urgently exactly. engaged. The president called Panetta and said, what are we doing? And can't we? Maybe we can't rescue the guys in five hours. Maybe we can send a plane overhead and at least scare off the attackers. There seems to have been none of that. What did the president do? Well, we know that he did one thing. He had an hour-long phone call with the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. That phone call was driven by the fact that the president was under political attack for uh, not being pro-Israel. The Remember, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, been removed from the Democratic platform just the week before. And he wanted to show that he was in close contact with Netanyahu. So they scheduled this phone call. And they had it, and they put out a press statement about it. So in the middle of this huge fight going on in Benghazi, the National Security Council staff is is working to craft a carefully crafted press statement to make it look like Obama's getting along well with Netanyahu. Mm. I'm quite confident that if the president had said to the prime minister, hey, you know, thanks for scheduling this call, but we've got this crisis with hostages and everything. You'll allow me to call back in a day or two, won't you? I kind of think Bibi Netanyahu would have said, yes, absolutely. And I kind of think if the shoe were on the other foot, Bibi Netanyahu would have said, you know what, Mr. President, I have to put off this conversation. We've got a military operation going to rescue hostages. And it really makes me, it's really upsetting, honestly, that the president's attitude seems to have been, the defense, hey, you guys in the Defense Department, State Department, kind of take care of it. And, you know, I'm just not going to check in all evening. I'll just be doing other stuff. Well, what happens while you're in Vegas stays in Vegas, I guess, because that's where the president went the next Vegas, day. But here's the good to news. Vegas the next day for a fundraiser. I mean, the whole, and then the cover up afterwards, the whole mm-hmm. thing is a disgrace. And, of course, the campaign's over, and nothing's going to happen in the sense of, you know, electoral uh, punishment for this. But we deserve to know the full truth of what the president did that evening. And, and I think, you know, the country needs to really understand the degree of dereliction of duty. Uh, well, the good news is we'll have another Secretary of Defense. And boy, after his brilliant performance up on Capitol Hill, I'm feeling more confident about Chuck Hagel than ever. I think he may not make it. Uh, he's got real problems with, obviously, almost all the Republicans in the Senate. And boy, privately, the Democrats are kind of saying, oh, my God, is this the best we could do? And there are people in, the, in and near the White House who are saying, uh, do we really want this guy as Secretary of Defense for Four years. When you put that together with the, their cavalier attitude towards the sequester, which is just going to do huge damage to our military, uh, and their cavalier attitude towards women in combat, which incidentally, you know, it's never, there's no good argument in my view mm-hmm. for, and they haven't even bothered to make an argument for, they just think, hey, it's my, you know, get, get with it. This is the 21st century. We're going to have women living in tiny combat outposts, outposts with men uh, in Afghanistan and fighting against the Taliban, and it's all going to work out just, just wonderful. Wonderfully. Now, you put it all together, there's a kind of cavalier attitude about the military and about national security and about rescuing Americans who are under attack abroad that, I, I mean, I really, it's four more years of, of this administration, and it really does not fill me with any kind of confidence. 
Uh, but the Republicans are ready to fight back. Two Republicans who got a lot of press this past week, Marco Rubio on the cover of, I guess it was Time, as the Republican savior. And then Chris Christie just, uh, I, I, they say what, chewing up the scenery, I think is what they say in movies. But you hate to say that with Chris Christie because he was forced to eat a donut on the Dave Lever show. Someone at the White House, a doctor with the White House actually said they were he shouldn't be president because he might die. I, what I love about this uh, bill is how... Uh, the uh, fear of the Democrats is that Rubio and Christie represent the Republican version of identity politics. And that no one is even debating policies or outcomes anymore. It's all about group uh, think, group vote. Is this the uh, the uh, state of democracy 2013? I think it's the state of the Democratic Party 2013. And they think of Christie's and Rubio's appeal, I suppose, in that way. And they think they can knock down a Christie by saying he's fat, and they can knock down Rubio by saying, well, you know, he's Cuban, he may not appeal to the Mexicans. Both are extremely <laughs> impressive, I think, youngish, young in the case right. of Rubio, and pretty young in the case of Christie, public figures, where they'll have real records by 2016, everyone can judge them, as will Paul Ryan, and as will a, will a whole bunch of other people who are thinking of running for president on the Republican side. And every time I get depressed about, a little bit depressed about the Republican leadership and about the current state of play, you look at the younger senators, congressmen, governors, and you think, you know, there's an awful lot of good young talent on the Republican side, a lot of good conservative reform ideas. I think there's a bit of a disconnect now between the good ideas and the good young talent on the one hand and the actual leadership of the party on the other. That's something we can all work to fix over the next year or two. But I, I agree. I'm struck by how scared they are of Christie and Rubio. Uh, because once again, they see they see the notion that you're going to vote based on how you identify yourself physically, you know, ethnically, et cetera, as opposed to the ideas. And I, I hope that's not what the Republican Party decides to do is just to try to beat the Democrats at the identity politics game. As you pointed out, there's only one group of people who are talking about reforms. Nancy Pelosi still insists, for example, that Medicare is fine. I mean, you have to be you know, borderline in need of medication to say that Medicare is fine. Uh, because she refuses to even address the idea we might need reform. You know, absolutely right. And these Republican governors are making tough choices and taking some grief for doing so. And there's one thing that the Obama administration has consistently shown. It, it, it ducks the tough choices. And to get back to Benghazi, it, it ducks just being serious about governing. Whatever your other, you know, he may do a lot of things we disagree with, but he is the commander-in-chief. It was an assault on Americans. It's clearly an urgent situation and an important situation. And for him to just be disengaged that whole evening, I, I'm genuinely shocked by it. And I really hope people focus on that. And I hope he's asked about it at every press conference from now on. And, and that his uh, chief of staff and his national security advisor are asked, uh, next time they go out and give a speech in some friendly think tank, what were you doing that evening, Mr. Donovan? What were you do doing that evening, Mr. Liu? Did you ensure that there was actual follow-up to the president's directive that everything be done that could be done? Great questions, and that's why we're glad you posed them at the Weekly Standard. By the way, some great blog postings this week at the Weekly Standard, and everyone needs to check those out. Also check out the Weekly Standard regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.